Good morning. Hey, all right. That's better, way better than the nine o'clock group. I was going to say, don't tell them I said that. Hey, so uh, I don't know if you guys have Instagram, but Instagram kind of is triangulated in on me, and they think I like going to conferences like this, where I can realize my dreams, maximize my success, create my breakthrough, ignite my energy, and find my passion. Those of you who know me know that I loathe conferences like this, so if anybody here works for Facebook, if you could kindly tweak the settings on my targeting, I would appreciate it. Actually, it worked out really well because as I was working through Matthew 10, this could not have felt more in contrast with what I was reading and what we will see this morning. And what was interesting is when I did all these, I was like, oh, this feels like the opposite of everything I'm studying in Matthew 10. So I just started screen grabbing all of them. And when I laid them all out, I realized, oh, other than this 2018, the word your is the very consistent word on all of these, right? It's your dreams, your success, your breakthrough, your energy, and your passion. And what I was struck with was what am I going to do with all this energy and breakthrough and passion and success? Like, to what end am I getting all jacked up here? And I think Matthew 10 has a really nice answer and counterbalance. Now, I don't know what it was like to live in first century Palestine. I don't know if alive there was a lot of self-help scrolls down at the local bookstore But I know in the 21st century that there is a lot, right, about success and energy and passion and finding out what's that. You know, we talk about that. It's my The Gospel of Walt Disney, right? Nothing like a dream in your heart in 22, 42, or 90 minutes. Solve anything. The magic of Walt Disney. Little pixie dust, right? And it's all sort of okay. Nothing could be further from what we're going to hear this morning in Matthew 10, And I think there's even something we can do to redeem these sort of ideas. Hopefully we'll have done that at the end of our time together. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority. If you'll remember, we're just coming out of 8 and 9, right? I know you guys all know math, but chapters 8 and 9. Before that, we were in 5 to 7, and before that, we were in 1 to 4. Chapter 1 to 4 is really Jesus being born, him getting anointed by the Holy Spirit, baptized by John the Baptist, and then starting to call all of his disciples together. So really the establishment of ministry, one of the first things he does is goes up into this high place, up around the Sea of Galilee, just on sort of the northwest edge there was a mountain, and he gave forth the Magna Carta of the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And what he did is he, he taught in a way that the, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't. It was almost like everything they said he turned upside down. And the people at the end said, we've never heard anyone teach with such authority. That word authority showed up there. In fact, that word authority shows up over and over again in all the way through Matthew. But in 8 and 9, he said, okay, this is what I say. I'm teaching you there's a different way. Let me show you that I have the right 
to speak this way. And he goes out and begins to demonstrate authority. He demonstrates it over nature by calming a storm. He demonstrates it over demons by casting them out, both out of Jews and Gentiles. Some into a herd of pigs, some out of blind or out of deaf men so that they could speak. He demonstrates authority over all kinds of disease by healing people. He even claims to have the authority to forgive sin when he forgives the man that was paralyzed on a pallet and then heals him just to prove that he could forgive the sins. It seemed like there was nothing on earth that Jesus didn't have authority over. And at the end of nine, he looks out and he says, you know what? There is so much work to be done. I can't do this by myself. So you need to pray that the Lord will send workers out into the fields. And in fact, coming into chapter 10 now, right, the very next verses, you're going to be the 12 that I'm going to send out. And he gave them authority. So we see him speaking with authority, demonstrating authority, and now he's giving that authority. And what did he give them the authority to do? The same things he did. Cast out evil spirits, heal every kind of disease and illness. And here's the name of the 12 apostles. Apostle is an interesting Greek word. That's the noun form of it. Um, it's apoleos. It's a Greek word. And it, the verb form actually means to send. So he called the 12 together the sent ones, right? If you were an apostle, you were a, a sent one out. Paul will say a little bit later that he was an apostle, and he'll say that there's five different sort of ministries, one of them being apostles. When you see the word apostle in the New Testament, think kingdom entrepreneur. Think church planter. Think somebody who, when they show up, things happen around them. They establish things. They start things in the kingdom. And here's the 12. Simon called Peter and Andrew, Peter's brother. James and John were both brothers of uh, Zebedee or sons of Zebedee, but they're brothers. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, Matthew the tax collector we read about in chapter 9, who was called, who's writing the gospel we're reading. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas. We know Judas went and bought a field and hanged himself and died after he betrayed Jesus. But what we might not know is of the 11 remaining church tradition in history tells us that 10 of the 11 remaining all died martyrs' deaths. Peter was crucified upside down in A.D. 66, the same year that Paul was beheaded by Nero. They were stabbed, they were stoned, they were clubbed to death. These men all died deaths being sent out. And the beginning of that and the warning of that, that's the chapter that we're in right now, where Jesus lays out in front of them what they can expect and ultimately was fulfilled in all of their lives, with the exception of John, who tradition tells us was dropped in a, boil, uh, uh, a bowl, a big giant vat of boiling oil, survived it, and so they just stuck him on the island of Patmos, and that's when the Lord gave him the revelation that he wrote in the book, the revelation of John, the last chapter, of the, or the last book in the New Testament. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Sumerians. Right now, I just want you to go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. It wasn't that the kingdom wasn't for them. It was that right now, I just want you going around Galilee. I want you to get to as many towns and as many homes as you possibly can because I know what's coming for me. 
And I know what's coming for you, not a generation from now. In A.D. 70, Rome was going to get tired of this little upstart in the Middle East, and they were going to level it to the ground. They were going to level the temple to the ground, and the Jewish people were going to be scattered all over the earth from A.D. 70 until 1948 when it actually got reestablished as a nation. Go and announce to them, the kingdom of heaven is near. How will they be able to believe this message the same way they believe my message? Because when you say something, and then you can say, here's how you'll know the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal their sick, raise their dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, and just do it for free. Just do it for free. At that time, it's believed that there were some that were itinerant, especially Greek so that would go and sort of speak itinerantly and would, would get money for that. We don't know if there's any. There's no evidence of those going around Galilee at that time. But he's saying, don't do this for money. You're go, you got all this for free. Go give it away for free. In fact, not only that, don't take any money. Here's your prep. Ever, had a, ever gone on a short-term mission trip? Ever had the short-term mission trip first meeting start out with, hey, just don't even think about money. No, that is not how we start our short-term mission trip meetings. Rick, is that how you start them? No, that's not how you start them. You don't start them with. You start them with fundraising and other things. Jesus is doing the opposite of that. I'm not picking on fundraising. I'm just pointing out that this is like the most opposite trip you could ever imagine. Don't take gold, silver, no copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes. Just take the clothes that you have with you. Don't even take sandals extra, don't take a walking stick, extra, but don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. And that hospitality word is a really important one here because that's how they're going to know who they're supposed to minister to. In fact, they're going to go into cities and villages and they're going to search for a worthy person. Do you know how a person is worthy, how we define a worthy person when you don't have any money, you only have the clothes on your back, and you don't have food? You know who the worthy person is? Whoever takes you in is the worthy person. He's basically saying, go to these towns and find some place to stay. And if you start teaching them and they let you stay, just stay there. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back the blessing. I really want to dig into that, but we don't have time for it. That is a very fascinating teaching, right? Giving and and retracting blessings. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust, shake, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Which seems really harsh until you start to realize what he's saying here. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so you need to be shrewd. Shrewd as snakes, right? He's referring back. That sort of harkens back. Remember the first snake? That sort of story that was there in the garden? You need to be shrewd as him, but I want you to be harmless as doves. Too many of us, I think, in the church are shrewd as sheep and, you know, harmless as snakes, right? Not very bright and not very pleasant. But beware. For you'll be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. 39 lashes, usually about two-thirds of them were on your back and a third of them went on your chest. This was a leather strap with all kinds of nasty stuff tied onto it so it could like have a little bite, grab a little flesh as you got whipped. 
You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers, but this will be your opportunity. When you get arrested and stand trial, that's the point. I actually want you to stand trial. That's your opportunities. When you find yourself standing in front of people that are about to say, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be thrown in prison, you're going to be tossed out of town, whatever is going to happen to you, that's the opportunity I'm sending you out for. To tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me, how else are you going to get in front of the rulers and unbelievers that are magistrates? You're not fancy men. You're just boys, and you're uneducated boys. You're fishermen and tradesmen, and you're a tax collector. Who's going to hang out with you? But I'm going to get you in front of these people, and this is how I'm going to do it. And when you're arrested, don't even worry about what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it won't be you speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit that I'm laying my hands on you to fill you with, that authority that I'm handing you is going to be the thing when you get in the worst possible situation. Don't even worry about it. He's going to be the one that speaks through you. A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you're my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. He is talking about his own death. He understands the time and what's happening right now. He understands that he's sending out a 12, he's going out to towns, but really his march is towards Jerusalem and ultimately towards his own death and burial and resurrection. And the time when he will leave them. And so there is an urgency on Jesus to go and tell them all of this message so that in some regard their own guilt will be on them. So that in some regard that some of them will be saved from this thing that Jesus probably has a sense of by the Holy Spirit that's coming in A.D. 70. This judgment, this final judgment of the Lord on Israel that moves us out of that age and into this age that we're in, and he wants as many of his brothers and sisters in the kingdom before that time as he possibly can. And he's telling them, you won't have time to get everywhere before I will be dead and buried and resurrected, but it's who I want you to go to. Students aren't greater than their teacher. We take this word disciple quite often, and I feel like we've buffed it up and polished it up, and we've set it up here, and we're like the disciples, right? Like it's this thing up here that you attain to and strive to, the level of being called a disciple, right? A disciple's like a, a PhD in walking with Jesus. That word means student, And I think what he's saying here is important for us to hear, especially those of us who have walked with the Lord for a while. For those of us who feel like maybe we've gotten control of a couple of things in our lives, we're never not students. You will always have a student ID card in the kingdom. It might get old, it might get tattered, people might look at that photo and go, wow, that doesn't look like you anymore. But you always are a student in the kingdom. We have never mastered this walk. And it's really, really important that we understand that. That you are not in the kingdom going to be put in a place where it's like, oh my goodness, 
I got this whole thing figured out. If that's how you feel, if you feel like everything in your life is hand and glove, everything you have, you understand how to make a plan for it, everything you have in your life, you know what's going to happen next, and the thing you ought to say, and the next thing, and all your plans, you're just knocking dominoes down and everything else, I might caution you that there might be a whole lot of you in your life and very little Jesus in your life or in your plan, or in your dream, or in your thing that you're doing. But if you feel like, ugh, I feel most times like I don't know what I'm doing, that might be a more kingdom place that the Lord has you in. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household, you're probably going to get called worse names than this. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known. What I tell you now in darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. When I whisper in your ear, what I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Right? This sort of revelation fully of Jesus and who he was and what he meant and what his mission was. They were waiting for an earthly Messiah, that he's the spiritual Messiah, that he's coming once and he's coming again, and the Holy Spirit and the gifts. And all of this he's saying, all these things that you're hearing me talk about with you and not the crowds, all these things you're starting to realize in your own spirits now, there'll be a time when you can trumpet these. And Peter will be the one that sort of leads out in the trumpeting on that day of Pentecost. The other thing that I would say is, oftentimes we're looking for God to sort of lay out in sort of like electric neon lights and colors the thing that we're supposed to do next. And often he's whispering it in our ear. And if we're never getting alone with him, if we're never getting quiet with him, if we're never pursuing after him, how are we ever going to hear that? How are we ever going to hear him talking? How am I? I says, I'm saying this to myself. Sean, if you've got a podcast on every time you're in the car, how are you going to hear him whispering? Sean, if you've got business stuff racing through your mind when you wake up at 3 in the morning and you're laying there and it's quiet, how are you ever going to hear him? If I don't make times to get away, that the whole point of the time to get away is to let everything else fall away, when am I going to hear him whisper? He is the God that invented romance. He is the God that invented drama and story and theater. Do you think that he's not going to woo you and be that way? Do you think he's not going to tap you on the shoulder and retreat to see if you don't pursue him? Do you think he's not going to overwhelm you one day and then back off and say, let's see how serious they really are about this thing, this relationship with me? That is the dynamic. This is a love relationship that we are in with a father, and he is whispering things to us in that way. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. But there is one who can uh, destroy both soul and body in hell, and it's God. And what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, they're cheap. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you're more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. He knows you. He sees you. 
He knows what's going on. He sent his son, and his son has walked in this sort of anxiety and tension and difficulty. He's walked in this, and you are more valuable than all these things. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me, I will also deny before my Father. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Apologies to all of the Christmas card companies in the world who thought peace on earth was the point. I came not to bring peace but a sword, literally not a weapon against one another. But what he's saying is when you choose to follow me, if you're going to say you're a follower of Jesus, you will be going somewhere. We understand that, right? We understand that to follow him means he's going somewhere and you're behind him. And when you look in front of you, it's Jesus. And you look around you, those are the people that are following Jesus with you. If you bump into somebody, they've either stopped or they're going the other way. If you look and Jesus is going that way and you're going this way, you're not following, right? We get that. The following is a moving sort of piece here. And there will be people who don't understand why you're following him. And it's going to feel like a war. It can feel like a war in relationships, in friendships, in homes, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between friends. It can sometimes feel like a war. And it especially felt like a war for Jesus and for these early disciples. It literally was a war for them and it literally cost them their lives. I've come to set a man against his own father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. He's not telling you to hate people that don't follow him. He is leveling and saying there is a priority in your life. There's me and there's everyone and everything else. And if the love you have for everyone else doesn't look like loathing compared to how much you love me, then you probably haven't amped up the heat enough. He's not telling us to go pick fights with people. He's not telling us to be judgmental. He's not telling us to be mean here. He's doing a contrast, but he's also preparing a group of people for whom it is going to be very, very difficult to follow him. Our Muslim brothers and sisters who have decided to follow Jesus pay a price at this level. Many who are in Orthodox Jewish communities and decide to follow Jesus pay a price at this level, literally of being dead to mother and father, being kicked out, being given nothing. That is happening today. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. That cross isn't right. I mean, we, we, we see now, in fact, as I was driving my daughter across the country, I looked over and there was this big cross that was on the side of the road and there was a set of statues and there were people. And I think you could actually come and walk around this cross and put a cross on with a wheel on the end of it and walk around somewhere. It was in Texas. It had to be Texas. <laughs> and I thought, that is a beautiful symbol and I have no doubt that incredible ministry and heart things, transactions happen there, but that is not even remotely what it was like for Jesus to carry that cross. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus is saying to 12 people, if you won't take up your own cross, 
knowing probably in his heart that he would be carrying a cross very soon after taking 40 lashes and that he would not be able to carry it. And all of the 12 that he's talking to, one of them would have been the one that turned him in and the other 11 would have betrayed him to such a degree that they weren't even there to help him carry his cross. It had to be a stranger do it for him. That's what he's saying and who he's talking to. And it's what he's saying to each one of us. That you that wants to fulfill its dream and all these other things, I have one plan for that. And it is to kill it. To kill it. There is not a self-help book in the kingdom. There is a self-destruction book in the kingdom of God. And what rises up out of that is way more beautiful and way more loving and way more powerful and way more fulfilled and way more passionate and gets way more breakthrough and has way more energy than anything that we can conjure up for ourselves. I am not saying you should not love yourself. He tells us over and over again, love your neighbor as yourself, because he understands if we don't love ourselves, if we don't care for ourselves, if we don't tend to our own souls, to our bodies, to our health, where's the Holy Spirit going to live? You can't, you got one body. Where are you going to live if you don't take care of it? Right? If you're not emotionally healthy, how can you be there for brothers and sisters who are emotionally damaged? If you are not spiritually healthy, how will you be there in power for those who need spiritual breakthrough? If you don't have any energy, how are you going to have stamina for this marathon of life in the kingdom? He understands you need to take care of yourself. But there is a nature inside of you that he actually wants to put to death. And he says, if you won't do it and you won't go where I'm going, no matter where it is, you are not worthy to follow me. And there is no way to make that nice or easy or comfortable. Essentially, in the end, if when these trials come, if when you're standing on trial, you actually say, well, I kind of only sort of knew this Jesus, and I like a few things that he said. He's a pretty good teacher. But I'm not sure about this whole Lord thing. If you do that, if you save your life by denying me, you will ultimately lose it. But if when the shame comes and the disgrace comes and the discomfort comes and the hard things come and the obedient things, and if the, when we all know this, when we say, oh God, I could never, and that becomes your next assignment, when those things show up, if you just keep saying yes and you don't quit, though you fall down a hundred times every single day, you get back up and you keep going, if you will do that and just not quit, then you will find a life that is beyond anything you could imagine. And wherever you're going, anyone who receives you actually receives me. Remember the transverse property in algebra? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? That's a, uh, Jesus is doing a little kingdom algebra here. No, we got some no's. Just trust me, it works. Here's what we got going on in the kingdom here. Jesus is saying, we are moving from 
a single high priest being inside of a tent one time a year representing before all the people. We're moving away from a prophet who is the prophet to the people at that specific time where he speaks his word and puts his spirit on them and he goes and delivers the word where there is one king over Israel and he puts his spirit on them and goes and fights all of that battle to where I'm going to have lots of prophets And lots of people, princes and princesses in the kingdom, and lots of those who are out here. And all of you are representing me, and I am representing the Father. So in much the same way that if you worked in the State Department and you were in an embassy in a foreign country, the back of your passport would say, this person is traveling on behalf of the President of the United States. Please afford them all of the respect and courtesies that you would afford to me the President of the United States. This is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, I am making you all diplomats in a new kingdom. And you are not just representing me, you're representing the Father that sends me. And you are going to move and operate in the same way. You will have the same message. You will have the same authority as I have on earth. If we understood that, If you understood that you were a son and a daughter inside of the greatest kingdom ever conceived of in all of human history, what dignity would you walk with, right? Think about Harry and William, what we expect of those two young men. They're just sons of an earthly prince and an earthly kingdom that was just set up by a bunch of men. Oh, and the kingdom has lines drawn around a map and some dirt. We're talking about the king that made all the dirt everywhere. You are the son and the daughter of that king. Do we walk through life with that level of dignity and authority and expectation of our own lives? If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as the prophet. If you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the people that receive you, the way they think of you will determine what they get from you. If you're going into this place and they think you're a prophet... What does a prophet get? A prophet gets to hear literally the words of God. They will think they're getting the words of God. If they think you're just a good person, then what they'll get is good person teaching from you and maybe a good friend. And if they give you at least a cup of water and have been hospitable for them, we have paradise reserved for them. But they might not get that word they were so desperately longing for from the Lord. And I believe he's also saying that about us is that if we would honor one another, if we would realize that everyone in here is a son and daughter of the king, and we would expect that they have something from that king to give to us according to the gifts that he's given to them by their Holy Spirit, how much would we receive from one another? How much more would we receive from one another? And so if in our friendships and in our community groups, all we're expecting is to have a good meal and maybe sing a few songs and make some friends, then that's what you'll get. But if when you're meeting together, what you're expecting is a son and a daughter of the king is meeting with me and is going to give me something from that king, then that's what you will receive.
He goes on and finishes up in chapter 11. I think he probably would have put this in 10. I don't know if he realized he started a new chapter here when he said these things. Just kidding. We made the chapters. I know that. Um, When Jesus finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout this region. So this is idea of his strategies starting to be implemented, right? I demonstrated to them. I demonstrate, I taught them, I demonstrated my authority, I gave authority to them, I sent them out. And in Luke 10, we actually see them coming back, and they're super excited. They're coming back and saying they joyfully reported that even the demons obey us when we use your name. When we go out in your name, we have the same authority you have. And Jesus said to them, yeah, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. That Greek word there for registered is two words meaning in and written down. There, there somehow is some book up there somewhere and there is someone writing down your name in that book up there. And he is saying that is what you should rejoice in because we know you because you're ours, because you're written down in that book. And that means you're an ambassador with all the rights of that place. You are a citizen of that place. You're not from here anymore. You're from there. You're representing that kingdom here on earth, and you get all of the rights and privileges of that king and that kingdom. And I'm always amazed every time I start digging into these, we get these verses given to us at random, and I'm always saying, Lord, I want something. I believe the right way to teach is you never teach something that you haven't experienced in your own heart. And what you do is you break off a piece of your life and you feed it to people. And so I am always saying, Lord, why these verses? And I knew exactly why these verses as I began to dig into them. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started a company. I find myself as the CEO of a company, knowing in my heart that my calling in life since I was probably 15 or 16 years old is to be a Daniel. Well, guess what Daniel wasn't? He wasn't the king. Guess what a CEO of a startup is? They're the king of that little domain right there. So I am using my left hand to run this business. If my team were here, they would say, it doesn't feel like you're using any hand sometimes. Right? I'm doing this sort of thing. I'm in this uncomfortable place. And I'm running a startup as a 49-year-old that's about to turn 50, and I just heard Tom Peters speaking recently, and he was saying, hey, you know what? Nobody focuses on 50-year-olds because they think they're all old, but they're only halfway through their adult life. If you become an adult when you're 25, sorry for any of you that are not yet 25, especially the men, you realize your prefrontal cortex, it literally doesn't fully developing until you're 25, and that's where all your rational thought is. Ladies, that probably explains a bunch of things if you're dating one of these guys, right? It's soup in there. I mean, it's just, it's sort of you shake them a little and it sloshes around. Squirrel, right? I mean, it's that thing is what's going on. 25 to 50, you're only halfway through. And so this year I have just found myself really saying, having a lot of conversations with the 75-year-old me to say, I need to have a conversation with you because I would have a lot to say to the 25-year-old me. The 25-year-old me was a bonehead. I realized the 75-year-old me could look at the 50-year-old me and go, oh, brother. Oh, brother, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Say yes here. Do this. Finish well. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. 
And as I was wrestling with these things, I realized I was having a lot of anxiety about using my left hand because I was like, Lord, I, don't, I want to be exactly where you want me to be. I do not want to waste another year. If this is halftime, this is my coaching to myself. I don't want to waste a moment. I'm not going to have as much energy from 50 to 75 as I did from 25 to 50. I can already feel it like the aches and pains after running, linger. I have a cut on my arm I got here the last time I spoke. I bumped it on the thing back there. It's still not healed. What in the world? I think that's called metabolism slowing down. You literally just don't regenerate yourself as fast. So I don't want to waste any time here on earth. And I was having so much anxiety about this thing that I had started that I was excited about and worried that I was doing my thing around my passion. And I knew it was my left hand. And the Lord began to speak to me specifically about this place that I'm in. And he began to break down for me. Hey, Sean, this... this, chapter can seem very confusing because you're not a first century Palestinian. You didn't understand everything that was going on in that world. So what I want you to do is I want you to break it down and I want you to piece it into your world. And that's what I did. And I think what Jesus is saying here, if I can use 21st century business language on it, is that the mission and the vision of our lives should be to love the Lord, should be that relationship, that intimacy If the mission and the vision of our life is always the knowing of God, I can be doing anything and be on mission. I can be sweeping up after the game and I'm on mission. I can be unemployed and be on mission. It doesn't matter. If my values are always loving my neighbor as I love myself then I'm always in the right spot, no matter what my particular assignment is. And the assignment that the disciples had at this moment was to send more workers into the field, is what Jesus just said. Guys, I'm looking out here, and you know what I see we need strategically right now? We need more people out there. There's no, I'm one man, I'm locked up in this earth suit, and I can only walk about four miles an hour, and there's a lot of ground to cover. If you guys will go, we'll cover 12x more ground. That's a really great strategy to cover 12x. You've learned from me. You've watched me demonstrate authority. Here's authority. Go do it. Who are you going to go to? The lost sheep of Israel. Who in the lost sheep of Israel? Anyone who will welcome you in the front door. They will become closer to you than your own family. You should cherish anyone that lets you in the door. That is a message for another day. Because there are a whole bunch of people outside of our doors, outside the doors of our homes and outside the doors of our churches that are desperate for family. And we could be closer than a family if we would just invite them in. How are you going to do this? You're going to walk everywhere. You're going to take nothing with you. You're going to say the kingdom of heaven is near and you're going to do two things. You're going to preach. I work a lot in marketing. In marketing, we have a message, and then you have what we call a reason to believe. Why do you get to say that you're 5x faster or 10x better? Why do you get to say that? What's your reason to believe? Well, if you're going to say the kingdom of heaven is near, you better be able to back up that the kingdom of heaven is near. That is why he gave them authority to heal and deliver. Now, you start a business to benefit a people. We know who they're going to, so what's the benefit? What do they get? Well, if they receive you as a prophet, they get the words of God. 
they receive you just as a good person, they'll get friend and friendship, and maybe over time they can understand that you're an ambassador of this king. If they just give you a cup of cold water, I'm going to remember them and give them paradise. What will it cost you? What's the cost of running this business? Your life. Your rights to direct everything in your life. It could cost you shame and disgrace. Your reputation could be marred with friends and family and community. People could think that you're crazy for believing these things. And it might, in fact, for 11 out of 12 of you, it will cost your very life. You have a great team. And here's the method. You've been following me, you've been watching me, I've been teaching you, now I'm going to send you and you're going to come back and I'm going to teach you some more and then I'm going to send you out and then that's going to be the way we're going to operate. And I call this the preparation cycle. I made that up, it's not like it's an official thing. But we're always doing this, we're always being prepared or sent, prepared or sent, prepared or sent, prepared or sent, and it's not cyclical, there's times where you're either in a fully being prepared stage or you're being in a fully sent stage. But I actually believe that it stacks up a lot, that oftentimes the thing you're being sent into where you're using your left hand is actually preparing you for the thing that comes next. And the thing that I feel like the Lord was saying to me in particular is, Sean, I want you to know things about starting and growing a business that you can't know any other way other than doing it because I want you to be able to speak into people's lives that are doing that. And I got the opportunity this past week to talk to a guy that had lost all of his savings in his business. And I thought, oh, if I could have talked to you six weeks before, I would have told you all of this thing and this thing, but I was able to encourage him. And I wouldn't have known those things had I not been using my left hand for the past three years. And the things that I could speak into his life and the encouragement that I could give to him, I would not have had had I not been prepared by this. And so the thing I would encourage us all to do today is ask ourselves, what are we being prepared for and what are we being sent to? See, this isn't just for the mission field. This isn't just, I need to know the language, I need to know how to do a a visual display of the gospel. There are many ways that we are prepared to deliver the kingdom. Some are formal, college, grad school, formal training, being discipled. Some are networking, meeting people. Sometimes we're gathering resources that we need to go on support or that we need to start a nonprofit or that we need to start a business because the Lord has actually called us to see his kingdom established through the starting of a business, whether it's here or abroad, scouting out places, developing plans, networking, praying, spending time with the Lord. It is not a passive thing to be prepared. And then there are many ways to be sent. Some of us in this room have been missionaries. I see the Sebas in the back and we have the Vitali, uh, Pastor Vitali here, who's literally out sending and starting churches. Some of us are called to train others, launch others, help people scale, support in that way, advise. There are many, many, many ways that we can help the kingdom of God come. It is as varied as you guys are, as the passions and things that he's put inside of your heart. And if you want an easy way to remember it, it's really just pray and obey. And there's a sense that we live our entire lives this way, that we're praying and obeying. Lord, this didn't go the way I thought it was supposed to. What am I supposed to do here? Pray and obey. Do what he says. My flight got delayed. Why is my flight delayed, Lord? 
Am I supposed to talk to somebody here? Am I supposed to do something? Is this just some quiet time for us? Pray and obey. Lord, I'm in this job, and I hate this job. What are you doing here? Is there a person I'm supposed to meet? Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. And if I go back and I think about all of these things as dream and success and breakthrough and energy and passion and what we're supposed to be doing, you know, the question comes back to what about you? What are you going to do with this, with these energy and passion and gifts and talents? And if you overlay that language, I think it fits very nicely over this sort of strategic way of thinking about your life. If the dream of your life is to know the Lord... You can pursue that dream no matter what your assignment is. You can hate your assignment. Your assignment can be the worst possible thing now. And you can still be pursuing the dream of your heart. If your passion is always to love others and to make sure you're tending to your own soul, then you can be, have any assignment and be doing this thing. Your own energies, your own breakthrough, your own desire for success, those things, I would say, need to be pointed outward and not inward. When you look around you, pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes and show you who it is around you that you're supposed to devote your energy to, who around you needs breakthrough and in what area of their life. And if we could redefine success, so success isn't our bank account, success isn't our career, how good our LinkedIn profile is, how many followers we have, how many of this we open, how great our kids are or aren't, how great our marriage is or isn't. But if success could be defined by us taking the next step of obedience, it would be transformative in our lives. And it would impact positively all of those relationships. There is a step of obedience. I fully believe this, that the Lord wants you to take in the place that you're working and in every relationship that you have, almost always. And if we went understanding that we're sons and daughters of a king, that we really are ambassadors of another place, and if we understood that the people around us are the same, I think it would be transformational for us. Why don't you guys stand? Here's what I want us to do during this prayer time. I want you to ask the Lord, what's he preparing you for? Be asking him this week, what, Lord, what this thing that I'm in right now, what are you preparing me for? What steps of obedience are you asking me to take? And Holy Spirit, give me the strength to take them. I also want you guys all during this ministry time, go take communion if you need prayer. Find somebody on the sides that's usually stationed for prayer. Or you have a son or daughter of the king standing right next to you. Anybody here can pray for you in the same authority that anyone standing around the edges can. And I all want you to go say hi to Pastor Vitaly because he is an extraordinary man. And I want you to ask the Lord, how are you to come alongside and help him this morning. It could just be praying. It could be financial. It could be that you're supposed to go over there. It could be that you're supposed to pray for him, give him a hug, tell him thank you, but something to bless him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm always amazed the way you run your kingdom, how upside down down it can seem to sort of my natural inclinations of things and how upside down it can be to so many things that we think are wisdom and so many ways that we plan things. Um, Lord, you ask us to have a God gap in our lives, a, a set of things that we look at and say, Lord, you're asking me to do this and I can't do this. 
I don't know how this can come about, and if you don't come through, I'm going to fail. Lord, that's what it means to live a life of faith. Help us to be faithful and to go after those things over and over again, whether we fall down once or ten times or a hundred or a thousand times. Holy Spirit, help us to get back up. Help us to reach out to our brothers and sisters, the other sons and daughters in this king, of the king inside of this kingdom to do this thing together, to do life together. Stretch our vision. Show us that our passion is meant to be spent on others, that our energy is meant to be spent on others. And help us all, Holy Spirit, as we enter back into worship to begin that intimate relationship and fellowship with you that you hold out to all of us, not just superstars and saints, but all of us, you hold out that relationship. We thank you for all this that you've done for us, Jesus. It's your name. Amen.